So three weeks ago, uh, we began our all-in check-in, right? And the goal of this was twofold. One, uh, we wanted to give you updates, uh, whether they were lengthy or short, uh, just updates on where we were at in our discipleship journey. You see, we started this past fall uh, on this two-year discipleship journey that we have called All In. And the goal of All In is that we would be a church uh, that is a disciple-making church that brings hope and healing to our community. And we're going to do this in three ways. The first is that we would be a church filled with people that are all in on their relationship with Jesus. The second is that we would be all in in doing ministry to families and with families. And third, that we would be a church that is all in for our community. And so we wanted to give you guys updates on where we were at with some of the projects that are a part of our all-in discipleship journey. And the other piece was that we still have some heart work to do. All right, when it comes to our community, when it comes to being all in on Jesus, when it comes to these things, we all still have a little bit of work to do. And so as we started planning out, Jonah just kept coming to heart over and over and over again because Jonah's story is our story. And so three weeks ago, we kicked off Jonah chapter one and we were introduced to the two characters of this story. First, we were introduced to God and second, we were introduced to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. Uh, His name literally translates the foolish son of God's faithfulness. How true has that been so far? And we see that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, to that great city. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria was the Jewish people's number one enemy. They were cruel, they were evil, and Jonah despises them. And so instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah goes down to Joppa, pays the fare to get on a ship, sails in the complete opposite direction towards a place called Tarshish, and because of his disobedience, it says that God hurled a storm at him. And we see that this storm was, it was big, it was bad, and it was scary. Seasoned sailors that were on this ship were so freaked out that they started throwing cargo overboard. They were throwing away their money in an attempt to save themselves. They were so freaked out, they were all calling out to their gods, and the captain comes down to Jonah, who's asleep in the midst of all of this, and he says, wake up, O sleeper, call out to your God that he might save you. And then last week, we saw uh, Pastor Jess and Pastor Lee, they, they taught through the rest of chapter one, and, and we saw that they actually started casting lots, right? So they all pulled out their magic eight balls, and they said, whose fault is this? And they shook it, and they looked, and it said, Jonah. And so they go to Jonah, and they're like, man, who are you, and what have you done that this is happening? And we see Jonah, even in his disobedience, stand before them and say, I am a Hebrew. I follow the God of heaven. Now these sailors, they don't follow the God of heaven, but they've heard of him, right? This God that split the seas, the God that has delivered these people out of Egypt, the God who has done things over and over and over again, and they are terrified. And Jonah says, just throw me overboard. This will solve the problem for all of you. Just chuck me overboard and, and the seas will go calm. And it says that the men actually started sailing harder. They started, so eventually Jonah goes to them and says, throw me overboard. I think for doing a noble thing, he was going to the sailors and saying, throw me overboard because I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. 
Now these sailors, they were professional sailors. They had done this most of their life and they were just headed from Joppa to Tarshish, right? This was a normal thing for them until a man by the name of Jonah walked aboard their ship and changed their life forever. The first time we really hear of the sailors, they are crying out to their gods that that their gods would save them in the midst of this storm. And at the end of this story, we see that they call out to Yahweh as their God. That in the beginning, they were calling out in fear. In the end, they were calling out in confidence. Even in Jonah's disobedience, God was saving people far from him. And so as we get ready to jump into chapter 2, we're going to see the story take a little bit of a turn. Because in all of chapter 1, we don't see Jonah say a word. He doesn't speak a word to God. And that's all about to change. All right, how many of you read chapter two before you got here today? We still got work to do. There's like eight hands up. Well, several weeks ago, uh, I talked so, uh, to me. Uh, one, verse 17, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, last week, Pastor Lee made a statement that is incredibly important when it comes to this story. Here's the deal. Jonah spending three days in the fish was not a punishment. This was not a punishment. God sending the fish was God's mercy on Jonah. God could have let Jonah drown, but instead he rescued him because God wasn't finished with Jonah even when Jonah was finished with God. And there's something that we need to talk about for a couple minutes before we really dive into this. All right, in uh, 2016, uh, I had the privilege of leading a team from here to go down to Brazil. This was the second time that I had been to Brazil. And we got down there, and Kate and Rachel Ferguson, they were missionaries living in Brazil, and Rachel had just given birth to their baby girl, uh, Anna Sophia. And so she was kind of out of commission. Like, she had her baby like six days before we got there. And Cade's like, I can't do this all for you. So he gets a college student named Tiago to come and help translate for us. And as soon as uh, we start talking to Tiago, he's like, oh, you're a pastor. I said, uh-oh. He said, I-, I got a question. I said, all right. He looks at me and he said, is, is God selfish? I was like, man, I haven't heard that one before. Is God selfish? So I took a moment and I responded and I said, God's not selfish, but he is jealous. Because if God was selfish, if God was only for himself, Jesus would have never gone to the cross for us. But because God is jealous, Jesus did go to the cross for us. You see, in our culture, we hear selfish and we hear jealous, and we like to put them together, and we like to think that they're both wrong. But they're not. There's a big difference, right? If God was selfish... He would have said, you know what, I created you sinless and y'all messed up. And I'm not fixing that. But he's jealous and he wants you. He wants what is his. And he said, I created you sinless and you messed up, but I want you more. So I'm going to make a way. God is not selfish, but God is jealous. And as we look at this story, we need to continue to look through with that perspective because in a similar fashion, we look at Jonah's disobedience and we look at how God responded to it, right? But it's
Discipline is correction. Punishment is retribution. Our misunderstanding of discipline, it shapes our view of who God is and how we interact with him, doesn't it? Like whenever I hear the phrase spiritual disciplines, I start twinging. I'm like, yeah, I don't want that. Why would I want to be disciplined? Man, I got enough of that as a kid. I had enough soap shoved in my mouth and wooden spoons across my tush to know I don't want discipline. Just letting you know, liquid dial's nasty, okay? My parents would save the little soaps from hotels because they're the perfect size. And it clearly didn't work, and now I got a microphone. (laughs) Nobody wants to be disciplined. Nobody likes discipline. And if we're honest, a lot of us look at the discipline that we received as kids, and discipline was taken way too far. Some of y'all, you guys were abused. And so we're using that filter to look at the way that God disciplines us, the way that God interacts with us. God's discipline is corrective. It's not punitive. It's not punishment. Guys, we don't pay the punishment for our sins because Jesus already paid the punishment for our sins. God is relentless in his pursuit of those that he loves. He's not paying Jonah back. He's bringing Jonah back. He's not paying Jonah back because he's going to pay Jesus back. He's drawing Jonah back in because he knows what's best for Jonah. He's drawing Jonah back in because he's jealous for Jonah. If God was selfish, he never would have sent Jonah to Nineveh. He would have said, man, you guys are evil. I don't want to restore that. I want to destroy it. If God was selfish, he'd be like, man, Jonah, you didn't listen to me. Like, I'm not going to pursue you. I'm going to let you die. How often do we look at our circumstances and we use it as a gauge that we use to dictate God's love for us? Man, we do this all the time. God can't love me and give me a tumor. God can't love me and let my parents get divorced. God can't love me and allow me to lose my job. God can't love me and send this storm into my life. God can't love me and put me in the belly of a fish. But there's a greater deliverance than our deliverance from our circumstances, and it came in the form of the cross. Our deliverance from sin is so much greater than our deliverance from our circumstances. Yet how often do we use our circumstances to define God instead of looking to God to define our circumstances? Jonah being in the belly of the fish, that man, that wasn't a punishment, that was God's mercy. And we're gonna continue to see his mercy throughout this story over and over again. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. How long was Jonah in the fish? (laughs) How long was Jonah in the fish? Okay, what's the first word of chapter two? Man, we're bad. Then... Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, and then he prayed. This dude's stubborn. I don't know about you, but if I was in a very claustrophobic place that was nice and warm and smelled like salmon, while I 
Maybe it would. God's mercy, right? Literally, while Jonah's being digested, he's got time to digest everything that just happened to him. How awesome is that? It's another example of God's mercy. How often do we step back from what we've gone through to evaluate things? Are we so eager to just move on to what's next? How often do we sit back and celebrate what God has done? How often do we sit back and learn from what God has done? How often do you find yourself in the belly of a fish with a little time to think? You know, week one, I told you guys that all of us are Jonah. We are. We're all Jonah. We're all rebellious, but our rebellion looks a little different. You see, most of us will obey God until a point where God starts touching something at the core of our being. This is where Jonah is. He is obedient in every aspect of his life, right? Uh, I'm calling you to be a prophet, okay? I'm calling you to go to my people, okay? I'm calling you to deliver a message, okay? I'm calling you to go to Nineveh, I'm out. This is personal to him. Here's the deal. Jonah being sent to Nineveh is the equivalent of a Jew walking into Berlin in 1940 into the headquarters of the SS, talking to Hitler and saying, yo, you need to stop what you're doing because it's wrong. What God was calling Jonah to was not an easy task, but Jonah knew who God was. He had seen God move, and he knew what God was capable of. Jonah knew if he goes to Nineveh, God's going to save these people, and Jonah didn't want that. At the core of his being, Jonah wants nothing to do with Nineveh other than their destruction. Church, have you guys given over every part of your life, or is there that one thing that you refuse to let your hands off of? Is it romance? Is it dating? Is it finding the perfect partner that you refuse to trust God with? Is it your marriage? You refuse to allow God to shape and mold your spouse, or is that your responsibility? Are you willing to submit yourself to your spouse has your spouse done something that you deem unfixable or unforgivable and you don't trust God to fix it? Or even worse, you don't want him to fix it. Is romance at the core of who you are? Is it sex? Do you believe that God's plan for sex for us is actually the way that we should live our lives out? And are you like, you know what, I'm willing to offer everything up to you except for that because I know what's best. What about money? Do you trust that God is gonna actually provide for you? Because if you don't, you will place that responsibility on yourself. And you'll just keep socking it away and you won't be generous and you won't give back to God as tithe and offering and you won't quit doing certain leisurely activities in pursuit of helping the kingdom advance is money at the core of who you are. What about your kids? Oh, I can feel the mama bears getting angry now. What about your kids? Do you trust him with your kids? Have you landed the helicopter that you hover over them with? And given him the keys? 
Are your kids in a situation right now that you can't fathom God allowing them to be in? Are your kids at the core of who you are? What about work? Man, you can't turn it off. You get home and you know it's not good for your family, but you can't put your phone down. Can't put your laptop down. You are so focused on career success that you will sacrifice everything else to achieve a promotion. Or maybe you find your identity in work and now that you're retired, you have no idea who you are anymore. Is work at the center of who you are? Control. I'm just here to step on everyone's toes. You love control, right? You love getting it your way. Got to have things done your way. And you're willing to give God everything, but it has to be in the order that you're willing to hand it to him in. Is control at the core of who you are. You know, maybe you can't even pinpoint, right? Some of us, we don't even know what's going on. We know something's not right, but we have no idea what it is. And I, I love this. J.D. Greer, he's a pastor down in North Carolina. He said, if you can't tell what's going on, look for smoke, because smoke will always lead you to what's on fire. Ouch. What does smoke in our life look like? Do you find yourself partaking in a lot of kind of numbing behaviors? That you just check out, you're sitting there watching TV for like eight hours a day and you don't even know what's on. You just get up and watch it and then go to bed. Social media, man, this is a fun one. Our thumbs, they just keep scrolling. We don't even know what's on the screen anymore. Our thumbs just keep scrolling. We're just there numbed out. Maybe you're addicted to something. What are you trying to escape from? What about Amazon? I just said the A word. Whoo, Amazon. How many of you spend hours every day on Amazon planning out future purchases, reading reviews, researching what you're gonna buy? You got it all planned out and you're dreaming about the day that you get to buy all of that because it's gonna make your life perfect. Man, some of you are so deep in debt, but you can't stop hitting buy because you hope that those items are going to fulfill you. Another smoke trail. Do you find yourself not being able to say no? You just can't say no to stuff. Have you guys ever gone to the grocery store while you're hungry? We all know that one. You went in for a bag of potatoes and you came out $200 later with a bunch of Twinkies. Because every time you walk into the store, you're like, oh, that, that's good. That looks real good. I don't even like watermelon. Right? You start making your way through the aisles. You're just picking stuff out, right? You can't say no because you're like, oh, that sounds great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, give me some of that. I'm going to tell you this. If you come to church once a week to get fed, you are spiritually malnourished. Your soul is starving. And when your soul is starving, you don't say no to what tempts you. Because our souls, they start craving for anything and everything, and it all looks appealing. So what's at the core of who you are? What has he called you to hand over? And are you running into it or are you running from it? Because we're all Jonah. 
In Matthew 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said, if anyone would come after me, if anybody wants to be my follower, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here's the deal, are you dying to self? In what areas of your life are you being obedient to his call even when it touches the core of who you are? You know, it's easy to look at Jonah and be like, man, that dude's a fool. And then we stand and look at ourselves in the mirror and totally miss it. But here's the truth. God is relentless in pursuit of those that he loves. And he will get your attention because he loves you. Yet we take what he uses to get our attention and we call it evil and then we say God can't be good and allow this to happen. You know what? After enduring a storm that made a professional, well, made a bunch of professional sailors scared, after being thrown into rough seas and allowed to fall to the bottom, after being swallowed by a fish, after three days of being washed over with digestive juices, after three days of being tightly squeezed inside the stomach of a fish, we're going to see in chapter two that Jonah becomes repentant. And this is something that we don't talk about enough in the church repentance. It's this act of owning up to our junk, to our sin, naming it, talking about it, asking for forgiveness from it, and turning the opposite direction from it. You see, God finally had Jonah's number. God finally had Jonah's attention. Verse 2, says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Church, here's the good news. God hears repentant people. God hears repentant people. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. It says, prayers are tools not for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. Prayers are tools not for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. And even in our disobedience, God hears us. In Jonah's disobedience, God heard him. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you are, it's not too late to call out to him. This is beautiful. Now maybe you've done something that you believe is so bad that God could never forgive you for it. Maybe you've done something that you think is so bad and you were so ashamed you don't think God could love you. Here's the deal. Jonah ran from God. He cut God off. He said, I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. Jonah was in the stomach of a fish being washed over with digestive juices tied up in seaweed and basically whatever else the fish ate and God heard him. I don't think your circumstances compare to that. Because it doesn't matter what you've done or where you are, it's not too late to call out to God. Because God hears repentant people. Verse three. For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows, they passed over me. This is interesting because Jonah's using language like God did this. Did God pick Jonah up and throw him into the sea? 
No, Jonah went to the sailors and said, throw me into the sea because I'd rather die than do what God's calling me to. But God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, not to jump into the sea. But God did use all of these things to get Jonah's attention. Church, a repentant heart recognizes God's discipline. A repentant heart recognizes God's discipline. Jonah finally sees all that has happened to him, and he sees that it was caused by God for his good. And so in this, Jonah's not blaming God, he's thanking God. Because God's discipline is corrective, not punitive. You know, I've learned something in the last 10 months of uh, being a parent. Uh, You correct kids a lot. Stop doing that. Start doing that. Go wash that. And in my backyard, we've got a, a concrete patio, and there's a staircase that runs from our patio down into the basement of my home. All concrete stairs. And there's a handrail that wraps around it to keep people from potentially falling eight feet onto solid concrete. And here's the deal. Little girl that lives in my house loves to play there. I've told her at least 20 times, stop playing, you're going to get hurt. I actually wrote a doctoral thesis on all of the ways she could injure herself and gave it to her and she still didn't get it. And one day I'm out working in the yard and I hear an incredibly loud yell followed by waves of sobbing. And so I walked towards the noise and I found a little girl sitting on the stairs with tears running down her face and she said, I know you told me not to, but I did it anyway. And she got up and she came up the stairs and she wrapped her arms like halfway around me because I'm really big and she's really little. (laughs) And she looked at me and then she just buried her face in my stomach. How often has God said, don't do it? Don't do it. Don't do it. This isn't good for you. Don't do it. And we do it anyway, and then we run back to him with tears running down our face. We're like, how could you let me do that? His discipline is corrective. It's not punishment, man. A repentant heart recognizes God's discipline. She looked me straight in the face and said, you told me not to do it but I did it anyway. How often when we approach God do we say, you know what, I know I shouldn't have done this, but I did it anyway. Verse four, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapping about my head in the roots of the mountains. I went all the way down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah finally realizes the uselessness of life without God. We've been seeing Jonah just living out of his own self-dependence and finally he hits a point where he says, I can't do this on my own anymore. Have you hit that spot yet? Weeds like chains were wrapping around my head and waters were closing in to take my life. 
I sank to the roots of the mountains and the sandbars began closing upon me. Now, I've never been to the Mediterranean Sea, but I can guarantee it's deeper than Shelby Lake. He was down there. In week one, I I talked about this word down, how Jonah went from where he was at down to Joppa, and then he went onto a ship and went down onto the ship, and then he went down into the belly of the ship, and now he got thrown into the sea and went down to the sandbars. And that every step down that he took was him getting further and further away from God. I am driven from you, yet I shall look to your holy temple. In the Old Testament, This is what people would do. They would call on the temple. This was a way of repenting. God, I messed up. I'm gonna call on your temple. That's your presence. That's where you are. In the New Testament, that's Jesus. That's what we get to call on now, right? When we mess up, we get to call on Jesus' name and say, Jesus, I messed up. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. This beautiful three-letter word, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Yet, and, but. These are beautiful conjunctions. In Ephesians chapter two, it says that we were dead in our sins, but God made us alive. In this story, the word is yet. It completely changes Jonah's story. I was dying, yet you saved me. Despite Jonah's circumstances, he trusted in God's mercy. Doesn't matter where you're at, if you put your trust in the love and mercy of God, he will save you. Verse seven. When, I, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You see, a repentant heart, it pursues God's presence. Man, I've been running I've been running hard from you, and I need to turn, right? This is an about face. I'm coming for you. I need you. I need your presence. This reminds me of the prodigal son, right? There's this story. It's a parable that Jesus taught about this guy who basically went to his dad and said, you know what? I think you're better off dead. I'd rather have your stuff. And so he takes his inheritance, and he runs, and he does whatever he can with women and food and drink, and he's just living the dream until he runs out of money. Then this man finds himself in a pig pen eating slop and it comes to him. If I, if I go home, I may not be a son, but I'd be a servant and I'm gonna eat better than I am right now. And so that son returns home expecting to be ashamed and to be shamed by his family, but instead his father runs to him and greets him with a hug, throws a massive party and restores him as a son. Church, instead of hiding from the father, we need to pursue the father. Because a a repentant heart pursues God's presence. Verse eight. Those who pay regard to vain idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. What a beautiful statement. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you that I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. A repentant heart worships God alone. A repentant heart worships God alone. It doesn't matter where you've run. doesn't matter what you've worshipped. If you are repentant, it means you are worshipping God alone. 
You know, most of us, we think of idols and we think of these little figurines carved out of wood and carved out of stone. Man, there's way more idols than that in the world. John Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory. An idol is anything that you love more than God, that you trust more than God, and that you crave more than God. An idol is anything that you love more than God, trust more than God, and crave more than God. And if you walk away from this entire series with anything outside of this, that's awesome, but here's the deal. Verse eight, right here, this is the key to this entire book. Those who pay regard to vain idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Guys, idols don't offer grace, Jesus does. The things that we worship, the things that we make ultimate, the things that we, and as Jonah ran towards his idol, he turned his back on the grace that was offered to him. As you pursue your idols, as you pursue that thing that is at the core of your being, you're turning your back on the grace that's been offered to you. These questions aren't fun, but they're necessary. When we look at our lives and when we think of our lives, I've got to fill in the blank for you. I'm getting my brad on right now. As long as I have blank, everything is okay. What are you putting in there? If I ever lost blank, my life would fall apart. Here's the deal. If you got anything but Jesus in those blanks, You've got an idol problem. Kids aren't bad. Money's not bad. What you own isn't bad. A lot of things aren't bad. But when we make them ultimate, we do. And so as we close this morning, I want to point to the fact that all of us are in one of four places. The first is that you are living a life without a relationship with Jesus. You are living in outright rebellion against God and you don't care. And as God is hurling storms at you, trying to get your attention, you refuse to look back at him. He's coming for you. It's never too late to call out to God, ever. Doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how broken you think you are, God wants to hear from you. It's never too late to call out to God because God hears repentant people. The rest of us, here's the deal. Some of us are, are walking out of a season or a storm. Some of us are in the middle of one right now. And some of us are about to step into one. Hear me on this. God's discipline is corrective. It's not punishment. What you are walking through is not because of what you've done. What you are walking through is because God loves you and he wants what's best for you. He's not punishing you. We paid Jesus. What he has for you is corrective to draw you in because he's jealous for you. And so as you head into a storm, if you find yourself into a storm, you've got a choice. Are you going to run to him or are you going to run from him? And just... Just as a warning, right? This is something that we need to keep in our mind because when we're in these seasons, it's so easy to believe that God has abandoned us. We're told that lie. 
right? I guarantee that Jonah felt abandoned by God. But was he? No. In whatever storm you are in, he has not abandoned you. Don't lose track of that. Talk to him about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jonah. Thank you for the story that we have to look at, to grow from. Father, thank you for the work that you did in the life of Jonah. Thank you that you were relentless in pursuing him, even in his disobedience. Father, I pray that every single one of us, that in our rebellion, that we would turn, that we would repent, and that our relationship would be made right again. Father, thank you for Jesus, that you are jealous for us and not selfish, that you sent your son to die for us and to raise for us so that we could be in a relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would keep hurling storms at those that don't know you, that you would get their attention and that they would call out to you with a repentant heart. I pray that as we, as a church, move into our community this week, whether that be work or school or whatever we have, that we would go and that we would point people to you and that even in our disobedience that you would save people like these sailors. And I pray that our community would be a different place because of your work in our lives and in the lives of people that are far from you. Father, I, I love you and I'm grateful for the work that you're doing in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, church, that's it rebellion, where are you going to turn in repentance? Because he's there for you. So as you guys head out for the week, if you guys would stack some chairs, that would help us greatly. We will see you next week.